All right, who's ready to win today? Good. Very good. Hey, um, let's give it up for our first-time guests. Let's give them a hand clap. Let's celebrate them. Um, we're just so excited that you're with us today. And um, wow, I did it again two weeks in a row. I opened my Bible, and it flips. And this sucker doesn't have a bookmark or anything. I don't know what it's about, but it's a good thing. But anyway, um, welcome to Highlight Church. We are so um, blessed by your presence. Um, any first time, second time guests that are here uh, trying us out again. Um, hey, and I'm blessed by you if, if it's your uh, 49th time. I think we're 49 weeks old. I know that's a random number, right? Like, why would you say 49? Because we're three weeks away for, from our one-year anniversary. And so... Yeah, man. Yeah, this thing has actually worked out. Um, we didn't know if it was going to work, but it, it's, it's, it's been good. So um, I thank God for you all. Um, we're in a series entitled The Winner's Circle. And so this is all about how to win in every area of life. And Paul defined winning as knowing Christ, knowing Christ. And, uh, but we want to build it out. Like, that's great, Paul. I think that's the number one thing. That's the pervasive thing. That's through and through. Jesus at the center of everything. We get that. But how do I practically build that out for my life? So I pray that you're taking notes today. I pray that you're leaning in. I think Satan has done such a good job with the church um, to where we just come to church and it's just another checklist. And he's, he's, he's been rather successful over the past few millennia at, at severing the power of God and the church. But there are local churches that believe in the power of God, that have experienced the power of God. And we come on Sunday to hear God speak. We come on Sunday to receive his promises and his instructions. And God wants to speak to your heart this morning. So, um, yeah, we, we, we're in week four, and we have one more week of the winter circle. And then um, two weeks from now, we're starting a new series entitled Hath No Fear. We're going to teach for four weeks on how to overcome fear in your life. Week two is the one-year anniversary. So it'll be a faith-filled message on what we're looking forward to for the next year. Hey, um, has anyone, show of hands, have you ever ran a marathon? Marathon, show of hands. Nice, nice, yeah. Um, how about a ha half marathon? I didn't even know these existed. Half marathon, there it is. I love your shirts all the time. Your shirts are simply amazing. Um, yeah, I've never ran a marathon because I've never cared enough to train for it. Um, but I hear that they're some of the, you know, one of the most rewarding experiences that you could ever involve yourself in. How many have won the marathons that they've ran in? You came in first, no. Um, second, third, you just finished it. You finished it? Okay, good. Did you, how many have ran a marathon and not finished? Those who have raised their hands. So you finished it. So, you know, I hear that the reward a lot of times isn't that you come in first or, or that you break a record or receive a medal or a T-shirt but simply that you finished it because it's a personal life's goal. And how many of us would agree that life at times can be a marathon? I think life in general is a marathon, but there are certain seasons that we enter into, um, and they're just a marathon, and there, there doesn't seem to be any end in sight for 
say your business or or your marriage or your marriage or your finances, um, and it can be a marathon. Sometimes you enter into a process or an issue or a problem, and that sucker can last for a year, two years, three years, five, ten. Um, you, you can lose a loved one, or someone can break your heart in the past, and before you know it, you're still grappling with these issues, and it's been seven years. It's been a marathon to heal and to get over from that loss or that pain. But I want to encourage you today that God has called you to go the distance, that there is a need for you, especially the believer in Christ. There's a need for you to, kind of like we spoke in week two, press in, but more so we're going to build that out and go the distance. Go the distance. A lot of you want to quit your jobs right now. You need to go the distance. A lot of you want to sign those divorce papers. God may be calling you to go the distance. A lot of you that are following Christ, you may want to uh, uh, think about compromising your purity. Let me, let, let me tell you, by experience, there's a need to go the distance and to honor God with your body and to honor God in your sex life and to honor God in your life. Because he has a plan for that area of your life. So go the distance with him. And so I want to encourage you. Um, one of our anchor verses uh, for, the, for, the, for this series is Philippians 3.14. And it says this. Paul, he was writing back to the church of Philippi while in prison. He was encouraging the church. He says this. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let's read that again. He says this, I press on, I love this part, to reach the end of the race. The greatest apostle to ever live, the word apostle means ambassador. Paul was saved by Jesus when he was on the road to Damascus. He used to kill Christians, throw them into prison. He used to persecute the church. And Jesus said, you know what? I don't care about his past. I love him and I have a great calling on his life. He does ministry for years across three continents. He brings hundreds of thousands of people to Jesus Christ, and he ends up in prison for his witness of Jesus. So if you ever say yes to Jesus and you end up in trouble with your friends or your family or or, or whatever, whoever, it's pretty commonplace. But if you're not receiving any persecution, chances are you're not really walking with him. But God loves you and he has you covered. It lands him in prison and he writes a letter back to the church in Philippi and he tells them this. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race. He says, I press on to reach and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. What was this prize? Well, the prize was heaven. The prize was heaven. The prize was that when he passed away, He would spend eternity with Jesus forever in heaven. That was the prize. And and Jesus had already taken care of all that. You know, Jesus died on the cross for you. So it isn't a a, a bad list versus a good list. It's Jesus did all the work. And, And now that I've received Christ into my life, now that I've received his spirit, I have great works that God has called me to do. And so Paul, he said, I'm going to get the prize, but there's a race that God has called me to run. There are lives that he's called me to impact. There's a purpose that he has for me to fulfill beyond my eight to five. So Paul was a tent maker, 
But, but he used his free time to preach the gospel and to bring people to Jesus Christ. And so he says, I have a race to run, and I'm going to press in to that race. And so today I want to talk about a character. His name is Elisha. Anyone ever heard of Elisha? Show of hands in the, in the scripture. Um, well, to give you a little backdrop, Elisha is the assistant of Elijah. And at this time in Israel's history, so we're going to go Old Testament today, Elijah was God's main prophet. The word prophet is pretty much delivery boy, or he was a messenger sent by God. And, and, and so Elijah did a lot of ministry within the kingdom um, with kings. And so he, he would guide and, and, and call uh, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel back to repentance, because at this time Ahab and Jezebel were in control. And so, um, and, but instead of... Um, encouraging the children of Israel to follow the one true God who delivered them from slavery, who blessed them, who equipped them, who resourced them, who set them free. Um, Ahab and Jezebel led the children of Israel to worship other gods. Um, They set up worship places for Baal and Ashtaroth and Malak. Malak was a God who required the people to um, sacrifice their babies to him in the fire. And so the children of Israel had turned from the one true God, and they started to follow other things. Part of Elijah's ministry was to call the kings and the queens and the people of Israel back to God. Because as long as you're focused on something else, you're never going to truly be fulfilled. But if we could just get our focus and our hearts and our minds on Jesus and his goodness and his love... God is always going to come through in our lives. And so Elisha was a protege or a student of Elijah. And before we read the verse, God is about to take Elijah up to heaven. So after following him for years and being trained by Elijah, it's time for Elijah to be raptured or taken up to heaven. Elijah never dies. There are two people in your Bible who never die. That's Enoch the book of Genesis, it said that um, Hebrews 11 gives us an executive summary of Enoch. It says that he walked with God by faith and he pleased God. So there was something about Enoch's faith that God said, you know what, you're too good for this earth. And I've ran out of miracles to do in your life. I've ran out of power. So you know what, I'm going to just go ahead and bring you home because your faith is too much. And so then he does, he does it to Elijah. Elijah is the most powerful prophet in the New Testament um, um, context in the, in the New Testament uh, script. He does powerful miracles, and God is about to take him up. So he has a national platform, millions of people. He has the king's ear, and the next in line is Elisha. And, and Elisha is going to have to go the distance to receive everything that God has for his life. Elisha is going to have to go the distance to fulfill his calling. Elisha is going to have to go the distance to make it into the next season of victory, of progress, of prosperity. He's going to have to go the distance and not quit on the plan of God for his life. So let's read Elisha, 2 Kings. Is this good thus far? All right, 2 Kings chapter 2, and it says this, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, 
stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. So wherever they were, they were going to go to Bethel. The word Bethel means the house of God. It's where they would worship God when they first entered the promised land. And he says, I got to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? And he said, "Um, of course I know, but be quiet about it. Just chill. I know. I know. Now watch this. And he says this, then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here at Bethel. I'm about to go to Jericho. So he's leaving Jerusalem and he's going to go to Jericho. In the Old Testament narrative, when the children of Israel, hundreds of years before Elijah and Elisha, entered the promised land, the first place they had to overcome was Jericho. Jericho, Jericho, if you know anything about that. The first thing that they had to defeat were the walls of Jericho. So God is taking him from where he should be to a place further out. And sometimes it can feel that way, that God is taking you from where you think you should be to further and further away to where you think you should be. But watch this. He's not done. He says this. Stay here. But Elijah replied, as long as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went together on to Jericho. Group of prophets said the same thing in Jericho. Of course I know, Elijah answered, but be quiet about it. And he says this. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. I'm going to go to the Jordan River. So, dang, we're going from Jericho to the Jordan River. Now, in the New Testament narrative, if you would read Joshua chapter 3, that was the first river that they had to cross in order to get into the promised land. So he's taking him even further and further away from where he thinks he should be. So he's calling him to do what? Go the distance. God is calling you to go the distance. But again, Elisha replied, winners go the distance. I love this. As surely as the Lord lives, we know Jesus lives. I don't care how far away God takes me from the place I think I need to be. As long as Jesus lives, I'm okay. And he says this, as long as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. And so we're going to take a few principles away from why it's important for winners to go the distance. Those of you that will fight to remain awake and to take notes and to apply this to your life, I'll see you in three years sitting on top. Those of you that are going to be put to sleep by the enemy this morning, God bless you. Keep coming to church. Let's lean in. Number one, the reason winners go the distance is because the distance is worth it. In your walk with Jesus, the distance is worth it. Elisha is aware that his mentor will be taken to heaven. Elisha is also willing to go the distance. I remember when um, I started to pursue Kyra, and she pursued me more than I pursued her. But um, (laughs) shame on me. Um, You know, we, we met at Barnes & Noble's, a bookstore, and, um, you know, we eventually one day we met and we exchanged numbers and all this stuff and we became friends. And uh, after, well, I would say about a couple weeks in, um, and I guess it was strategically on her part, she withheld some information from me. Um, but I would come to find out that she had a two-year-old son. 
And I'm like, okay, I don't know about this. And, um, but we were growing in our friendship, and she was in nursing school, and um, we, we were such good friends, and, and we started to even do ministry together. Um, I was a youth director at a smaller church there in Apopka, Florida. She was doing what she does today. And um, there, were, there were times and days where I had to babysit um, Jaziel, um, change his diaper. That was weird. Um, potty trained him. There were nights I had to put him to bed. And it just it didn't feel right. Like, he, number one, he didn't look like me. Um, but for whatever reason, I couldn't break away from whatever God was doing between us. Um, and then so it becomes a Christmas and another Christmas. And eventually, um, Jaziel starts to have um, clonic tonic uh, seizures, I think that's what they call them, I forget. And he has to go into the hospital for a 48-hour EEG. And it's interesting because I think this is when God finally gave me the breakthrough about my relationship with this kid, is I had to spend a night with him. And I had to act in, in, the, in the area of, of being the father figure. I had to answer the questions that the doctors had. And it was just one night he was sleeping. You know, he had all the glue in his head and, and the wires attached. And I'm looking at this kid as he's sleeping and I'm reading my Bible sitting next to him. And, you know, I just start to kind of shed a tear. I, I, I had a, at that point, I had a heart for him. You know, he, he's sick. And, um, but I believe God has great plans for his life. Um, and I don't know. I just, God did something in my heart that day. And, and, and she spent that next night. And whatever he did in my heart that day, I couldn't let it go. And I knew it was, it was long term. It was, it was not just, hey, you're going to date this girl and you're going to head out of here. The first chance, the next, you know, nice, nice thing comes along or, you know, whatever. I knew that God was saying, hey, I need you to stay the course with this kid. I need you to stay the course with this woman. I need you to support her to get behind him. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough, and it has been because the older he's grown up, the less like me he is. Like, I'm real chill. He's real goofy. He jokes a lot, and I got to sometimes force myself to laugh at his jokes. And um, so I've been doing okay with that. But at the end of the day, he's been the greatest son that I could ever ask for, and he's been an even better big brother to our biological child. And I'm blessed by it. And he has a bright future ahead of him. And he's the sweetest kid that anyone would ever know. And I asked myself in preparation of this, of this message, what if I would have quit? What if I would have quit? What if I would have said, you know, he's not my responsibility. This is hard. This is tough. He, he's not mine's. He's arguing with me. What if I would have said, well, and I did. I question this. The older he gets, what if one day, you know, I wake up and he's right there looking like Chucky at the edge of the bed? <laughs> you know, all this stuff. Ladies, I'm just letting you know. Those of you that have children, we, we love you children to death. But all this stuff men think about. Like, this cat can wake up one day tripping. And I need to be out. But what if? What if I didn't, and I, now I'm, I'm experiencing fulfillment 
in my life. I believe that God, just like he called me, he's calling you to go the distance in your workplace, in your marriage, in your singleness, in your parenting. Don't give up on those children. In your schooling, go the distance. God is calling you to go the distance. And as you go the distance in these areas of your life, be sure to go the distance with Jesus. Be sure to go the distance in your walk with Christ. And so Proverbs 19.21 says this. It says, you make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Like we have many plans, many ideas, many dreams about what a life of fulfillment will look like. But it says here, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Jesus's purpose in your life will prevail. You better ask Joseph in Genesis. God gives Joseph this amazing dream at the age of 17. Joseph sees that he's going to be on top. And you know what God does? God allows him to become a slave and a prisoner for 13 years because of what he's doing in his heart, because of what he's doing in his character, because of how he needs to discipline him in order to one day raise him up to be the second most powerful man in Egypt when he's 30 years old. You better stick with Jesus. Stick with the one who loves you. Stick with the one who died for you. Stick with the one who lived a perfect life so that you don't have to worry about or carry the burden of sin anymore, but so that you could be free. Stick with the one who cares for you. Stick with the one who brings you comfort. Stick with the one who provides for you. Go the distance. It's so worth it. They, they call the millennial generation commitment phobes. And that translates even into our spiritual lives. Go the distance. He said, I've come that you may have life to the full, a life more abundant, a life rich and satisfying. And he does that in here. So as you're going the distance in your workplace, be sure to say a prayer before you step in. Be sure to take your Bible and read during work. Be sure to feed yourself on the one who loves you the most. Also, as you're going the distance, go the distance with the right people. Y'all not writing. You're not writing. Go the distance with the right people. Elisha is connected to Elijah. National platform. Big time influence. Major power. And so they say that you are the average of the five people that you most hang out with. You are the average of the five people. Or if you don't have five, you got three. Your life will be the sum average of the influences of your life. The primary influence of Elisha's life was Elijah. And so you got to make sure that as you're going the distance in your faith, in your walk with God, Make sure that you're connected with people who are going to pray for you, who are going to encourage you, who are going to challenge you. Make sure you're connected with people who are going after everything God has for them. Then and only then will God's plan for your life prevail and continue to prevail.
So it's Jesus, and then it's his church. That's why I love light groups. When you join a light group, be it men's, women's, or co-ed, we have light groups that meet all across the city, like six or seven of them, um, that meet midweek, men that are connecting with men, women connecting with women, um, having discussion and dialogue, encouraging each other in your faith. Satan loves it when you're not faithful in light group because you get back in the same wrong. He loves it when you miss church on Sunday. He loves it when you don't pray because your, your life just becomes loopy loop, loopy loop, loopy loop, loopy loop. But as we see, Elisha was going 44, 44, 44. I'm just making up words now. He was just going forward with God simply because he said, as long as Jesus lives and as long as Elijah is on the earth, my connection, I'm going to go the distance. Winners go the distance in every area of their life. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 7, it says this, 50 men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided, and the two men went across dry ground. He did the same thing for Joshua when they went across dry ground. But now he's exiting the promised land. He's taking them further away. And Elisha replied, please let, no, no, I'm sorry. When they came to the other side, I love this. Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do before I am taken away. What can I do for you before I am taken away? And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Don't you love this? He's not asking for money because Elijah is well provided for. He's a prophet of God. He's not asking for his homes. He's not asking for any of this. He's asking for the intangible stuff. Give me your peace. Give me your power. Give me that devotional life that you have. I see you over there praying Monday through Friday. Give me that. He wants that. And so he says this here, and become your successful. Verse, verse 10, he says, you have asked a difficult thing. When Elijah replied, if you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. If you, if you see me, if you stick with me, if you stick with me, I'm 30 years old, been sticking with Jesus since 19. Can I just let you in on a little secret? His promises never fail. And being that we're commitment phobes, Sometimes we never even get to the place where God can actually ask us, what do you want from me? And God has asked me time and time again, what do you want from me? And I say, God, I want marriages to be healed. I want more baptisms, more salvations. I want more people to be committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work that it's going to take. And he's done that. I want a marriage where you're the center of it. And he's done that. Not perfect, but 
of this. I want a purpose that's greater than my life. I want to become a part of something bigger than me. Bigger than a paycheck. And he's fulfilled that. But we don't walk far enough for God to ask us, what do you want from me? And so Elisha understands like, do Elijah, you have two main things that you do. You follow God and you minister to people. Do your life isn't about you. I want that. And Elijah represents more than a prophet of God. He represents the presence of God. So theologians believe that this is God asking Elisha through Elijah, what do you want from me? Because I've used Elijah as a vessel to change lives, to reach people, to heal people, to point them back to me. So now that I see you have that heart, a heart that's bigger than what you want, now I want to ask you, what do you want? This mirrors Solomon, King David's son, before, uh, right when he became king. So the, the, the Spirit of God visited uh, Solomon and he said, what do you want from me? And Solomon said, I want the wisdom to lead your great people. Got to go back and read it. It's, it's, it's in 1 Kings. And God responds to Solomon, wow, because you didn't ask for riches, because you did not ask for popularity, because you didn't ask for military prowess and muscle, I'm going to give you wisdom to lead the people, and I'm also going to give you everything that I just listed that you did not ask for. We got to go the distance with Jesus. Principle number two is this. Winners go the distance because they understand that there are God-sized opportunities that await. God-sized opportunities. So I've um, done an amount of ministry in my life, and I've experienced a lot of great things, um, but most of them pale in comparisons to uh, my experience this past summer. A couple months ago, we went to a, a conference, and um, it was a really a, a women's conference, but the first night, the pastors, the husbands were invited, and um, after the conference, in, in the back room, they have the after party. You know, it was just some food, and, and we met, and, and we talked, and all this um, good stuff. Um, so we go to the after party and, and I'm, I'm with Kyra and talking to her, talking to another pastor's wife. And before I know it, about 15, 20 minutes in, I'm surrounded by all these women, all these pastor's wives. So I look above them and I see all the husbands and the pastors over there. I'm like, see you ladies later. I'm heading over here. And so as I approach the table, there are like six, six pastors here, all with God has done amazing things in their lives, but there's one in particular that has been a, a, a hero to me for 10 years at least. I've read a few of his books. Um, he has a few locations in D.C. and throughout Virginia. They're doing amazing work in Washington, D.C., and he's, wrote, he's written all these books, and he's talking, and my mouth, my mouth is like, oh, God, this is, 
It's you. It's you. Yeah, I become starstruck just like you become starstruck. This is what I do. I love these guys. And he's like, I'm like, yeah. And he's just talking about amazing things. And it goes all the way around the circle. They all start talking about their ministries and, and, the, and, the, and the challenges within their ministries and all that stuff. And it finally gets around to little old me. And so I tell them, you know, because um, one of the guys said, hey, and so you want to plant a church, huh? You want to start a church. And I'm like, well, we've already started. We're like eight months old and um, great group of people. Um, lives are being changed. God is doing amazing work in our city, and he has a lot more to do. And, um, you know, I'm talking, I'm talking, and I finished talking. And the guy, one of my heroes of the faith, he looks over at me, and he does one of these. He says, get my email and my phone number. I want to personally invest into your life and what your church is doing in the city of Gaithersburg. God has his hands on your church, and I want to be a part of what he's doing. And so I'm like this on the outside. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. On the inside, I'm like this. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, yes, sir. But at the same time, I'm like, I can't believe this guy is like asking me, what do I need? Like, get my number. We're going the long haul. Because, yeah, they, they got thousands of people now. He's written tons of books. He's a New York Times bestseller now. But their first year in ministry, the average attendance on a Sunday for the entire first year was 25 people. 25. I think we're doing pretty good versus where he was. But, but. I asked him about that, too. I said, man, I know your story. I know that first year was tough. He said, man, those were the days of the hard knocks. And I said, you know what? You've been an inspiration to my life. And I just, sir, I just want to thank you. I know you don't know me from anywhere, but I want to thank you for the opportunity to even know you because of what God has done in your life through the people in your church. They just planted a dream center in D.C. Dream centers serve the poor. They just do these amazing things. You ought to research Dream Center LA. You do. But it was an opportunity to connect with someone, and I oftentimes I ask myself if I had not gone the distance last year or the year before, would I ever have the opportunity and the privilege to meet certain people? people, to experience certain levels of connections, to have the influence that God has now given me. And it's all a privilege and it's all from him. But I say this to say this to you. You got to press in. You got you to gotta go the distance. You can walk down a hallway and you just never know when that God-sized door is going to open. The problem is, is we try the first door, we try the second door, we try the third door and the fourth, and it doesn't open. But let me encourage you, you have to go the distance in your faith because all it takes is one door, all it takes is one conversation, all it takes is one connection, all it takes is one experience. That's all it takes. And so Elisha says, give me a double share of your spirit. And if God is working on the heart of Elijah to ask him this, this lets me know that God is always in the business of outdoing himself in the future in your life in the present. So whatever God is doing in the present, he's always in the business of outdoing himself in the future. 
and he wants Elisha to want something greater. God wants you to want something greater, and he's giving Elisha this opportunity. In Ecclesiastes 9.11, it says this, I have observed something else under the sun. This is from Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, according to the Bible. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance and by being in the right place at the right time. God-sized opportunities. Elisha went the distance. Come to find out, eventually the distance led him to being in the right place at the right time. When you go the distance in your faith walk with Jesus, you are strategically putting yourself in the right place at the right time. And nothing may happen this month. Nothing may happen next month. Nothing may happen this year. But eventually, baby girl and baby boy, it's going to happen. The opportunity is going to come and the doors are going to open up to you. And so by following Jesus, having a servant's heart, being faithful in all that you do, performing with excellence in all that you do for the glory of God, you're positioning yourself to be at the right place at the right time. God is very unique, precise, specific opportunities only for you. You notice that the other prophets in Jericho and Bethel, they did not go. Only Elisha stuck it out, and he received what God had for him. And this is our last verses stanza here. It says here in verse 11, as they were walking along and um, talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them. Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariot and charioteers of Israel. These were angels that God had sent from heaven to take Elijah into heaven. As they disappeared from sight, Elijah tore his clothes in distress. Elijah picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Uh Uh-oh. He said, if you see me, it's going to happen. The cloak, you got to understand something. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah's on his 8 to 5, serving God faithfully as a little Hebrew Jewish boy. He's on the 12th yoke of oxen. You know what the prophet Elijah does as he's working on his 8 to 5? He comes. (laughs) I didn't have time to read this. We're going to go over about five. He comes and he takes his cloak and he throws it across him as he's just going on his normal day to day, being faithful, being excellent, having expectation. He comes and he chooses Elisha and Elisha says, oh, my God, it's you. You're Elijah. And that's what we got to do with Jesus. It's Jesus. It's, Jesus. It's, it's you. You're Jesus. He said, hey, hey, wait. 
let me take everything I have. I'm going to put my oxen on to the side. I'm going to take the wood I'm using with, to plow the oxen. I'm going to use this wood. I need to say bye to my mother and father because I'm following you for the rest of my life. And he says, go ahead and do that. And from that day, he started following Elijah. And so this is the consummation of his, of his following of Elijah. And, and it goes on and it says this here. He tore his clothes, blah, blah, blah. And it fell. Verse 13, then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. God will have you get back to the place where you think you should be because he never intends to keep you on the outside of his promise. He always wants to bring you to the very dead center of his promise for your life. And he says this here, he struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Are you with me? Are you here? Then the river divided. And Elisha went across. When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. The third takeaway is this. It's always better to cross the finish line. Always better to cross the finish line in your walk with the Lord. I just gave you my resume. Be honest, I haven't crossed the finish line. <laughs> Been doing it for 11 years. Haven't crossed it. Don't even know what it looks like. But I've seen the power of God for 11 years. Elijah crossed the finish line by faith, and he received what he asked for. A double share of Elijah's spirit. If you would read the narratives in the Old Testament, Elijah performed seven miracles in his life. Elisha performed 14. And the 14th one happened when he was dead. Because God is a promise keeper. Israel was in a war. This soldier died. They buried this soldier, and for whatever reason, it was on top of the bones of the prophet. This soldier came back to life. So even in your death, God wants to honor your legacy of faith. And so this is synonymous, though. This story is a foreshadow of Jesus' disciples. Jesus dies. He rises from the grave. He ascends into heaven. Acts chapter 2 the Holy Spirit comes down. Peter preaches his first sermon on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people are saved. Peter does in one hour what Jesus did not do in three years. Because we receive a double portion of Christ when you give your heart to Christ. In May of 2017, there was a half marathon in Philadelphia. And this woman, she was running. And I mean, the finish line was right there at the front row. And she fell because her legs gave out. Two men attempted to, they stopped their race. They attempted to pick her up and get her to the finish line. They couldn't. This man who was going full speed, sprinting this third guy, he, he runs around them. And he picks her up. Because like, yeah, the way. He picks her up and he puts her right before her finish line, so that she could cross it on her own. And she crawls past 
the finish line. Let me tell you something. God is calling you in this season to cross your finish line. And I know that you've been hurt. There's been some pain. There's been some disappointment. You've lost a lot of sleep. I know that you've been, you've been left alone. People have said things about you, but that doesn't give you an excuse to stop short of the finish line that he's calling you to cross in this season. And for some of you, that finish line is resetting your focus on God's love and on his goodness. That's that finish line, resetting your focus on his love and his goodness. For others of you, that finish line is giving your heart to Jesus. Just giving your heart to Jesus. He loves you and um, he died for you. And he wants to give his spirit to you so that your past can be turned into power. And so that power can be transformed into eternal purpose. For some of you, it's refocusing on Jesus. And God has given you the grace to do that. He's made a way. Um, by way of the cross, he's made a way. It doesn't matter who you are or what you brought in here today. God loves you, and he just he wants you to go the distance because he has a better ending for your life than how it's been. Hey, let's pray, church. Father, we love you, and we give you honor and praise, Jesus. And... Um, God, I thank you that you call us to go the distance because your, your love and your promises and your purpose is always unfolding in our lives. And so, Jesus, some of our finish lines in this season is to trust in you again and to refocus and set our heart on the affection that you have towards us. For others of us, it's giving our hearts and our lives to you today so that you can make us anew, so that our sins would be forgiven, so that we can walk with you in your presence forever. In Jesus' name, amen.